Good morning, church. How are you guys this morning? Good, good, good. Oh, my goodness. Um, so as uh, many of you, I'm sure, know, some may not, um, we have here at Mosaic been traveling through the journey of the story of God, the journey of Scripture, uh, chronologically uh, for the last uh, 15 or 16 years. I think we started in, in 06, uh, and we started in Genesis, uh, and we've just been quietly moving our way through the process uh, to get to where we are today uh, in the book of Philippians. And people will ask me on occasion, uh, when do you think we're going to get to the end? Because uh, it's, you know, it's been, it's been a, a roll, uh, and I tell them, well, best estimation, we don't quite know yet, uh, you know, somewhere between eight and ten years from now, uh, we should be uh, uh, rolling out and finishing the book of Revelation. Um, and so uh, about a 25-year run, generally speaking, from start to finish, uh, to be able to travel our way through this incredible, uh, living, breathing, wondrous, supernatural, powerful thing we call the Word of God. Uh, and so that'll be awesome. And so people ask me then, uh, so, so what are you going to do? Like, I mean, you know, uh, eight, ten years from now, you're going to be done. Uh, like, what, what do we do? Do we, do we just kind of then uh, sing until we're, until we're done? And I'm like, well, um, I, I don't know exactly. So, you know, don't, don't take this to the bank. Don't tweet this uh, as, a, as a definite. But I, I tell people most often, I, I think what I'm going to do uh, is start from the beginning again and try to get through one more round before I die. Um, because at that point, you know, I, I will be close to 60 when we finish out. And so uh, I figure 70, 85, that's 25 years, I should just about be able to roll through. Now, I'll probably go a lot slower of the second round, so call it 93 uh, that I will be. So uh, that's what we're going to try to do. Uh, I don't know that we're going to do that, but, but it is a thought. And here's why. Here's why I share all this. Not so that you know exactly what we're doing, but today's passage that we're going to enter into uh, is a great example of why I think we should just do it again. And if I had another 25 years to live after that to, to do it again, and if I had another 25 years just to do it again, because we are not going back and repeating something uh, four or five times over for 25-year runs— Every single time, there are a thousand things we missed because it is extraordinary, not just because of the literary wonder of this beautiful thing, not just because of the uh, massive amount of content in this thing, but because of the supernatural, beautiful power of God to layer into every part of this multiple realities that only as you study the immediacy of the passage, the context of that passage, the context of the entire thing, the context of history, could you even begin to understand some of the layers? So that means after a 25-year run, we finally have the basic foundation to be able to actually understand what's going on. So we need to go back and start again so that this time we can actually understand more. You see what I'm saying? And so there is, there is no version of coming to the end of what God has for us in this in a single lifetime. In fact, I would argue when we leave this planet, it is likely we will find out that if we had multiple lifetimes, we would not have been able to come to the end of what waits for us in this wonder by the power of the Spirit to be discovered. 
And the passage today, we are going to deal with a part of a passage today because the part we're dealing with is actually part of a bigger paragraph in this letter that we really should be dealing with in a single sweep because its context is the whole paragraph. But if we did that, that would mean we'd have to go through two, two and a half hours of preaching today, which we don't have. So we've had to take this paragraph that is a whole, break it into its parts, deal with each part so that we do that, except that if you deal with it in its parts, you might miss the whole. So you got to kind of be here this week and next week for sure, 100%, because uh, this is a singular idea. Yet, if we break it into its parts, each part is so profound in of itself within this context and what it gives us that we could preach several sermons just on the part we're going to do today. So then I'm like, well, we can't, we can't be in Philippians for the next eight years. So we're going to just have to leave off the table a ton of stuff we could put on the table for you, to which you might answer, hold on, you can't do that. Are you saying you've left out stuff all this time out of these passages? To which I would say, yes, I've left a bunch of stuff out. To which you would say, what do I do? To which I would say two things. You ought to be studying this thing yourself. It's not my job to do it for you. You ought to be digging. I'm just giving you like the, 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 the like appetizer. It's like a massive meal waiting for you in everything we deal with. And uh, gear up for the next 25 years because we got another run. And then we're going to deal with some other stuff we didn't deal with, except that I'll still leave a bunch off the table because there's just too much. So where are we in all of this? Where, where are we entering into? So Paul, uh, at this particular juncture in history, remember, uh, this is approaching a time in history where uh, we're coming to the later parts of what will be his life on this planet uh, because he will be martyred relatively soon after this letter. Uh, we, are, we are in that sort of last bit of Paul's writings now. Uh, he's going to go see uh, the emperor and he will be martyred after he preaches the gospel there. And so as Paul is writing these letters, uh, these letters are coming now after Paul has had the opportunity by God's sovereign engagement in his circumstances to unpack the gospel in multiple contexts of everyday life. If you remember, we've talked about that in the past, that uh, he's unpacked the gospel as it relates to legalism in Galatians. He's unpacked the gospel as it relates to lawlessness in First and Second Corinthians. He's unpacked the gospel as it relates to persecution in First and Second Thessalonians. He's uh, unpacked the gospel uh, as it relates to theology and doctrine in the book of Romans to prepare the Roman church for his entry. He's unpacked the gospel as it relates in summary form, considering all that in the book of Ephesians. And so he's, God allowed him without even us realizing until later that each encounter with each church, God was giving him reason to deal with the gospel in a context we live in. So that when we're done with all the gospel unpacking, the entirety of the gospel would be available to us in the collective of these letters. You with me so far? And then when he was done with that, really the book of Ephesians, uh, the queen of the epistles, the, the best summary of the gospel. After that, the letters begin to shift, uh, not leaving the gospel out. Every letter has it in it, but it's kind of like, hey, remember the gospel? And then it's an unpacking of like, how do we know? 
now engage in the application of uh, the gospel truths. How do we live our lives in view of the gospel? Philippians is one of those books. And so the church in Philippi uh, had written Paul um, uh, some questions sent with Epaphroditus, but their primary reason for sending Epaphroditus, remember, was to carry a gift to Paul, a monetary gift. Because the church in Philippi, we find out through the letters, uh, had been faithfully engaged in partnership with Paul through their finances, even when he was in Thessalonica. Uh, This is a long time ago. We'll get to that later. It's next week's stuff. But the point is, Paul is sending this letter back to the church in Philippi with two purposes. One being, thank you so much for engaging in partnership with me because of the gift you sent with Epaphroditus, Epaphras. Sorry, I keep, it's, it's Epaphras, not Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is the other guy in the other book that we talked about last time. So, um, so here we are, Epaphras. So Epaphras shows up with the gift. Paul's writing this thank you note back. But Epaphras also had questions about how to deal with culture. We've talked about that in the weeks past. And so Paul is answering the questions. And that births the letter of Philippians to the church in Philippi. We have now traveled through this letter to the point where we understand in beautiful depth uh, what Paul has engaged with in helping us live out our lives in this cultural context for the Philippians there and for us now. Now Paul is transitioning, coming out of the what one might call closing of the thoughts of how to do life. And now he's back into the thank you for the gift part. Except that... Paul, as always, inspired by the Spirit, uh, never does one without the other. So even in the little, okay, we're done with the instruction part. Thank you for the gift. There's more instruction just by nature of how he says thank you, which is insane. I mean, who does that? Thank you for the gift because this. And you're like, oh, worth putting on posters. Memorize these scriptures. They change your life. This is the beauty of it. So Paul just came out of the last bits of where he said, in light of the idea that uh, Jesus is our everything, he is enough in every way, and our understanding of what he has done for us, what he is doing for us, and what he will do for us changes everything about how we understand our role on this planet so that we are free from finding our well-being in circumstance, resource realities, or relational dynamics. Uh, Our obsession as humans to control our relational dynamics, our resource realities, and our circumstances so that we will be secure, safe, and well. He's saying, now that you know this, you are free from that horrible reality. And now you can engage in these things totally Totally differently. He's just done that, right? And he kind of came out of like, man, uh, I, I want to know Jesus and Jesus alone. And then he came out of that and he said, so when we are, when we are anxious, which we will be, remember, we know some stuff now. So engage with your anxieties this way. And he unpacked that for us last time. When you're anxious, it just means that like everybody else on the planet, because you live here and you have real circumstances, real relational dynamics and real resource challenges, they're going to make you forget about all this other awesomeness. And then you're going to be like, oh, and then he says, do this, come back here and go, oh, 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 please, 
be with me. And then he says, and begin to shape the way you see and think every day because when we forget the gospel, we lose portions of our freedom. We are most free when our eyes are fixed on Jesus alone, our minds are set on things above alone, and our souls are settled on eternity alone, then we are utterly free on this planet. But we cannot live that way every day because we have a body of flesh infected with sin still that fights us and an enemy and a world. Okay, Whew, that's everything so far. Why is that important? Because if you read the next passage without that remembrance of context, then you can pull this passage out, make it its own, and then it's not healthy. It is and belongs here in this context because Paul is writing a letter and he's like, okay, you got all of that. You got it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's enough. He's all we want. Everything's right. Now he says, by the way, thank you for sending that awesome gift you sent. Okay, let's go take a look. Grab your Bibles and turn with me and let's see how Paul wraps the thank you part of this beautiful letter into the ongoing teaching of how we are to engage on this planet in both the giving and receiving of that which God has allowed us to steward. And so here we are. Okay, we are in Philippians chapter four and we're gonna be in verse 10. Philippians chapter four, verse 10. If you have those little books that you take the notes in the side, now's a really good time to pull it out because we're about to, we about to roll and uh, circle a bunch of stuff and things. Okay, here we go. Um, so Paul starts uh, coming out of where he finished off. Remember what I'm just gonna remind you, verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, whatever you have learned and received and, 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 and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Do you feel the closing there? Sort of like, okay, now, now, now look what he says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, uh, renewed your concern for me. Okay, so look at the transition there. Paul's like, okay, close out. Now, now guys, I want you to know when, when Epaphras showed up and, and he brought that gift, I want you to know that I rejoiced greatly in receiving that gift. What a beautiful and honoring way for Paul to tell the church who came with this sacrificial gift, sent a man through dangerous territory to get him. Remember, just a, a, a quick reminder, remember that Paul actually wrote to the Philippians in this letter about Epaphras and what a hero he is that he risked his life for this mission. Do you remember, do you remember that? Uh, we were in that when he was talking about, I'm sending you Timothy and I'm gonna send you Epaphras. Uh, th that whole reality, he's basically saying this, I, I know what it took for you to send this thing. And I want you to know when you sent it, I greatly rejoiced in it. So I, I'm just gonna throw this on the table here because I do love what Paul does in the way that he navigates this thank you, that he starts with an expression of how much it meant to him that they sent it. He's going to explain in more depth what he means by how, why it meant so much, because it's not so much why it meant so much that he's going into right now, just that it meant a great deal. We might think he means it meant a great deal because he needed the money. He'll get to that. What we'll find out is it meant a great deal for much more than that. But I want you to know something. Think about this for a second, okay? When we as human beings 
engage with each other to be able to meet each other's needs in some way, whether that be in a relational dynamic with a, a child or parent, a spouse, a friend, uh, a, a, a stranger, an enemy. We are internally hoping that what we are doing, especially if what we're doing is costly, that in the doing of this costly thing, that the other person will experience some well-being. I, I, I say that for two reasons. I'll get to the second reason in a second. Follow me now. Firstly, because as much as our well-being is settled on and only in Jesus, our well-being is impacted by the realities of this planet. So we live in a strange reality, and Paul does a beautiful job of constantly bringing these collisions to the table, where on the one hand, our well-being shouldn't be affected at all by anything on this planet, which means you and I do nothing for each other's well-being and shouldn't, and at the same time, God designed us to experience well-being from each other. You're like, uh, what? It's a both and, one being the foundational stability, the other being the cherry on the cake. Now we flip those and our foundational reality is what the other humans do for us and the cherry on the cake is Jesus, wrong way. But even the other way, what Paul is saying, what we experience is when you do something for me and I express no joy, no gratitude, no reality of well-being, you are going to struggle a bit. Because you just like laid yourself out. And I'm like, mm. and I do want you to know that in longevity of relationship, when you've had a friend a long time, a spouse a long time, uh, a, a parent a long time, a child a long time, and you start taking for granted uh, this other person fighting for your well-being because half the time they do and half the time they try to kill you. I get it. It's not, it's not simple. These are not simple things I'm saying. Hey, just, just, you know, change your thinking. I get it. It's rough. But man, when we are able to express to those who bring to us things and honor that, it's important. In, in my world, um, it's interesting because, you know, uh, when, when I'm experiencing all of you, especially out there in the lobby, and some of you will come up to me and say, hey, thank you so much for uh, allowing your particular part in this grand story of God to be used today in, in your preaching. Uh, it was really great. You, you do it really well. You know, in, in my past, uh, you'd kind of throw on the table, like in genuineness, not pretense, like, oh, no, 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 you know, it's Jesus alone, which it is. Uh, and he gave it to me, which he did. And so I'm just like, uh, no, I didn't do anything. You can do that, but there's something beautiful about doing this too. Hey, thanks. Like, thanks for letting me know that what I did uh, was something that you greatly rejoiced in, right? So I, I just want to tell you that human to human, folks, may we become a people that when something is done for us in any category, we receive something from someone, an effort even, an effort, a feeble effort. May we become a people like Paul that says it's important for us just to say, hey, notice that. And, and I just want you to know, like, it, it did a little something for me that I was like, I was like happier. Paul starts this little thank you with, I rejoiced when Epaphras showed up with your gift. How? Greatly. Greatly. Because you renewed your concern for me. 
So Paul is already laying the foundation to say the gift was helpful and awesome. I'll get to that. But what I rejoiced greatly in is that it was a reminder that you are for me. You are with me. I am with you. We can do this together. This is another part of Paul layering into this beautiful letter. If we're going to do life following Jesus on this planet of death and this body of death, we better do it together. There were three of you that said that, well done. The rest of you, I'll give you another chance. We better do this together. And Paul's saying, man, I rejoiced greatly when he showed up and I knew you were still thinking about me and you were still with me and you were still partnering with me. It is wind in my sails. I am rejoicing greatly. Okay. So that was verse one. Uh, There's more there, but I'm going to have to leave it off the table. Okay, um, so look what he says next. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Okay, so all Paul's saying there is he's doing what when we kindly deal with each other, we notice what we're saying and we try to make sure that at least we explain enough so the person doesn't misinterpret. Imagine if the Philippians received the letter and he's like, I rejoice greatly because finally you renewed your, your, your care for me because there'd clearly been some time that had passed since the last time the Philippians were able to really demonstratively engage with Paul in partnership. So instead of saying, oh my gosh, I was so glad when I got your gift because I'd frankly figured you'd forgotten me. He's saying, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I understand how deeply you wanted to, but had no opportunity to. So actually my, re- my great rejoicing is not just in this gift showing up. It is in the, uh, in the expression from Epaphras that you have all this time been longing to get to me. Like, wow, what a surprise and delight for Paul that perhaps a church he hasn't heard from for a long time by circumstance alone, he finds out not only are they sending him a gift now, but they've been trying and trying. So he's really just saying, man, what a joy it is to rediscover that I've got friends out there that have been praying and thinking and wanting and collecting and trying to engage with me. I'm so excited. And and so he's sending that. And just imagine the Philippian church um, as they receive this letter and they hear this little paragraph. Like, I'm, I just want to make, again, I just want to make that clear. Like, how fun is that when they've just heard all this other stuff and they're grappling with like, how do we do it? And then he's like, by the way, I was so thrilled when I got the gift. And I was so thrilled to hear that it's been ongoing the whole time, even though you had no opportunity to send it to me. But it doesn't matter because I got it now and it's awesome. And now what Paul's going to do is begin a journey that we're going to split into two weeks. We're going to deal with one of three things this week and then the other two next week. So I just remind you of the context and begin a journey of kind of taking this gift that he received and explaining the dynamic, the tension, the beauty between the don't need it, glad I have it. Don't need it, glad I'm happy. Because, because it's difficult when we're dealing with what we give each other and especially when we're dealing with resources that God has afforded you or I that we are to steward. And we're gonna bring those resources now to partner with people in ministry. And, and Paul's going, I, I wanna make sure I, I don't manipulate one way or the other by either using the, oh my gosh, if you don't give, I'm dead. Uh, nor to say, I mean, I'm glad you're gay, but frankly, don't need it. Because he doesn't need it. So how does that feel? You sacrificially collect resources that you can't afford to bring to the table, but you do anyway by the call of God, and you come and offer them to ministry, and the ministry says, thanks. I mean, we're good, but I guess we'll use it somewhere. 
wow, no. Or, oh my gosh, if you don't give something, send something. I practically died without your support. About time. Paul's like, neither of those are true nor healthy nor good. So I'm going to bring two things, three things actually to the table. And he starts with this one. He starts with this one. And so, uh, sorry, I do this a little obsessively when we're breaking context because context matters so much. And I don't want you to pull this one out of context because this is already a verse we've pulled out of context to use for all sorts of crazy stuff. And so I'm just gonna keep saying, remember, this is only one of three things. And so what he explains here, he actually brings tension to in the next two things, which we'll get to next week. So please pay attention to both weeks. If you can't be here next week, make sure you podcast just this time because it's important. Okay, sorry, done with my obsession of context. Here we go. So look what he says now. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now this is fascinating that Paul would say this because where is he? He's in prison. He's in prison. He doesn't have anything. His entire existence depends on the provision of God through other people at this point. And this is his statement. I mean, this is not, not, not that I'm in need. He's just sort of like, hold, time out. FYI, you are in need. So why, if you are in need, would you say you're not in need? And here's the deal. What you're going to watch happen now is the beautiful fruit of really what he said in the previous little passage. If we begin to think about our life in terms of eternity and the reality in terms of what Jesus is doing, will do for us and has done for us, then even when we're in need, we're not in need when we're in need. So we can be in need and not in need simultaneously the beauty of our life on this planet when we know Jesus and we remember the gospel is that we can enter into a set of circumstances that either by themselves put us in a position of not need or in a position of need and we can still simultaneously say regardless of that I am not in need ever even when I am in need sometimes let me say that again I'm not in need ever, even though I'm in need, sometimes. We can, we can do both. And so Paul's saying, I, I want you to know, because I'm, I'm going to express to you in a minute that I was in need, and I'm glad you gave, but I'm not in need. And here's why I'm not in need. Because I have come to a place in my life where regardless of what I'm sitting in, circumstantially, resource-wise, relational, dynamic-wise, and Paul has had it all, good and bad, I have come to know, learn, understand something. He doesn't use the word here simply know. He uses the word learn. So what Paul's saying is this isn't one that you just know one day and because you know it, boom, it's done. This is one that comes through knowing and then like learning. And so in some ways, I will just say what Paul's about to unpack right now is a journey into something that we strive after, like you said before, not that I've already attained, but it is one that likely, if, big if, big if, if we're following what the book of Philippians told us to setting our minds right and stuff, that over time, as we age on this planet, we will likely be more like this by definition, if we follow the instructions of God's word, if we follow our own instructions, we will likely become less and less content. 
and more and more desperate and anxious to try and grab a hold of what we can. So here's what Paul says. I, I have learned this thing. That's why I can say I'm not in need. I have learned in whatever situation uh, I am to be content. Now look how beautiful this is. What did he just say? I am to be content. Now Paul's first statement is not I've learned to be content. His first statement is I need to, uh, I've learned that I need to be content. You with me so far? So where does it start, folks? It starts with us acknowledging if I'm going to live free on this planet in light of the gospel, I know part of my journey is that I need to learn to be content. Now, the next question would be rightly, if I've come to that conclusion, how would I do that? Have you seen this planet? Have you seen the other humans? There's no shot at ever being content. Because even when I have everything, it's fragile and could go away at any second. I mean, how many of you guys are having discussions about our economy right now? Is it booming? Is it dying? Is it awesome? Is it bad? Is it coming? Is it going? Are the house prices going to go up, up, up more or down, down, down? When should you buy? Now? Later? Listen, man, is your bank account jam-packed because you invested? Or are you like laying on the floor in the fetal position because it all went away? In the last like 20 years, that's been like nine different versions of that. So now we kind of know when I have everything, I have nothing. And when I have nothing, I might have everything, but I still have nothing. And so he's like, so I have learned this, that I definitely should be content. So now Paul's going to say, okay, so let me, let me share with you what's happened with me, Paul says. I know how to be brought low. Now, in other translations, you will see that this is trans, translated sometimes, um, I have been, or uh, I, I understand because I have. So he's not saying the how here is not like, well, I know how to do that. I mean, I, I, could, I could affect that. He's like, I know what it's like to be low. Has Paul been low? How do we know? Are we guessing? No, because we have other letters. And some of them, you remember he wrote things like, so at one point, I just like wanted to die. Like I, we wished to die. Do you remember that in Corinthians? Me and my partners, it was so bad that we were like, please kill us, God. And then he didn't because he had more stuff to do with us. So we had to endure the horrors that we were in. And you're like, you're exaggerating. Go read it. That's like what he said. I mean, I said it a little louder and I used a couple different words, but it's what he said. Paul has been in some circumstances that he could say, oh, I know, I know what it's like to be low. And then he says this, I have learned the secret. I'm sorry, I know, what it is to, uh, I, I know how it is to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. And so he's not saying, I know how to, how to make all the circumstances awesome. He's like, I've been, in, I've been in great ones. I've been in super bad ones. If, if Paul had a little more space to write, I bet he would say, tried to control to be in the, big, in the good ones all the time. Doesn't, doesn't go so well. Uh, tried to get out of these. Doesn't always go so well. So I just, I've been in both. I've lived long enough. I've been in both. And, and, and not only have I been in both, but look what he says. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. He uses the word hunger here for, for so, such a desperate point of having nothing that the one basic need you have, which is to eat, he couldn't even do that. So when we talk about poverty and we get to hunger, we are at the bottom end of poverty. You with me? If you have a resource, what are you going to spend it on? When you're hungry, you're going to go after food. The reason we don't spend our resources on food as an obsession 
some of us maybe if we're foodies, but in general, is because we've never known hunger. But when, when you have no food and you've gone three, four, five, six days without choice and you have a resource, you spend it on what you need to consume. Okay, so he's like, I know what it's like. I've, I've had plenty and I know what it's like to be in a position uh, resource-wise where I, I, couldn't, I couldn't eat. I, I was hungry. It's crazy. And then look what he says here. Um, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's his answer as the secret he's learned. What he's saying is I, I've, I've, I've learned when engaged in a circumstance or a resource challenge or a resource abundance, a relational dynamic that's awesome or a relational dynamic that's terrible, I've learned the secret of my contentment remaining the same through those ups and downs, that my contentment is neither elevated because I am in abundance, nor is it destroyed because I'm in need. He's not simply speaking here, when things go badly, look to Jesus. I think oftentimes when I'm in this passage or, or I hear this passage, we bend this passage toward the need part because it's where we feel desperate. So we think what Paul's meaning here is when you're in need, remember, stay content. When you're in abundance, you are content because you have abundance. And what Paul's saying is, no, 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 no. I've actually divorced my content part from both. That's why he's bringing both to the table. I don't find contentment in the abundance, nor do I lose contentment in the, in the need or poverty. I have learned a secret that takes me to a place where those affect my well-being, but don't determine my well-being. My contentment is somewhere else. Uh, in the dictionary, I like the dictionary. It's helpful because then we can see what the humans mean when they say a particular word. Um, and so content, it's an interesting, it's an interesting word. Uh, content. There she is. Listen to this. Um, I love this. Uh, substance, information, philosophy, power. Oh, that's the wrong. I'm in the wrong space. There it is. Sorry about that. Okay. Listen to content. Satisfied with one, uh, satisfied with what one is or has, not wanting more or anything else. What an interesting human definition of the word content. Satisfied with what one is or has. Not wanting to be anymore or have anymore. Content. And what Paul's saying is one would think that contentment arrives when you have become everything you wanted to be. Your body looks the way it should, at least as you perceive it. Your mind is where it should be. Your resources are settled. So when you have what you want and you are what you want to be, then you are content. That's what this definition says. And what Paul says is, I, I am what I want to be and I have what I want. So Paul is actually saying, no, this is a good definition. It's the what you want and the how you know whether you're good with who you are that you need to shift to a different place. And when I can establish my identity, whether my body is doing what it's supposed to or not, looking the way it's supposed to or not, whether my competencies comparatively to the other humans are higher or lower, whatever it is, are we all like, I want to be that. And he's like, hold on, who are you? Good question. 
Who are, are you significant? What's your legacy? Are you leaving anything behind? Have you done good things? Are people gonna remember you? When you die, is anyone coming to that little celebration or not? All the things we obsess about. And it's like, hold on, time out for a second. We just wrote an entire letter about the God who created you, who instead of leaving you to die and be damned into an eternity of separation and death from him, hey, came and got you. And when he did, this is what he said. I didn't just come and rescue you. I came to tell you, I see you and I love you. You are enough because he showed you and said so. And Paul's saying, I'm there. Like I've gotten there. Whenever I get anxious in who I am, I just go, who am I again? Boom. And then what do I have? I have enough. I'm not in need. So Paul says the secret of all this is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content. We pull this verse very often, throw it on posters, and we mean things like my football team can beat your football team because we're Christians. Christians lose all the time, FYI. So next time you're praying on the field and you're like, God, they're not Christians. Show them your gospel through us killing them. (laughs) He may or may not. You may just win because you practiced harder and played better. Now you're all like, oh my gosh, don't tell the kids that they pray and they ask for a win. Yeah, it's great that they do that. And I want them to do that. But uh, what Paul is kind of saying here in the kid version and adult version is be real careful where you assume this verse is for you, whatever you want to do so you can be who you want to be and you can have what you want to have. I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. No, 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 no. Whatever comes your way, whether well-being or not, poverty or wealth, relational awesomeness or not, circumstances of wonder or not, whatever comes your way that you can and will endure if you remember who you are in Christ and what he's done for you. What he's using here is the word endure that which comes my way, not affect things for me. We've always used this verse most regularly and I want something and I can do it through Jesus. It's like a little formula. You know what I'm saying? Renault, careful now. No, I'm not gonna be careful. Uh, We go to the genie and we say to the genie, if I do it through you, then then you'll give it to me because so I'll do it like very like dramatically. This is for Jesus's glory, not really. And and what he's saying here is, hold on, life's going to come your way. This is planet death. Sometimes it'll be awesome. Sometimes it's not. And how do you endure this? Well, I've learned. First, it starts with my contentment and where it's placed. It's in Jesus and him alone. Paul is hearkening back right now to where he was a chapter ago in this letter. I want to know what? Jesus and Jesus alone. And anything I can say that I lose for the sake of knowing him and being on mission with him and suffering with him and, and, and glorying with him, I will, I will lose it without a second thought. So what Paul was speaking of there is mission too. If I'm gonna live on this planet, I hope I'm not building my little kingdom. I hope I'm engaging in his. And if I do, man, let me tell you, it's, it's, it's gonna be awesome. So what Paul's saying, let me, let me close out here with what Paul's saying, and I'll leave you with a thought. Watch this. Paul's saying, thank you so much for your gift. I'm so appreciative of it. It's meant so much to me that you remember me and partner with me. We'll get to more of that next week. But before we get to the 
awesome gift. Thank you. And here's what it's done. Let me just tell you, I'm not thrilled because I felt desperate and you showed up and saved me. Though I'm about to tell you that God used you for my well-being. It's all mixed in. But he's like, but first you should know this. My well-being, my contentment is found in him. And whether I have a gift show up or not, whether I have enough or not, Paul's not saying this. Don't worry. God will provide everything I need. Paul's saying God already has. Let me say that again. He's not saying God will provide everything I need. He's saying God already has. We are a crazy people sometimes. We're like, when we say things like, don't worry, God will provide everything we need or uh, God will never make, uh, bring harder things to you than, than, than you can endure. I'm like, have you been on mission? I've been in like a 50 things I couldn't endure. So that, that'll, that'll not verse in the Bible, in case you were wondering if it's in the Bible. God will never give you more than you can handle. That's about temptation, FYI not about hard things. Sorry, slip. But here's the point. Paul's saying, listen, if you want to truly learn the secret of of contentment, it's not about understanding that God will fulfill his promise of provision for you on this planet. It's understanding that he already has provided everything you need because everything you need is not on this planet. And so it lands here. It lands here. What Paul is saying here, and he will say it more next week as he goes in is this. God's provision for you and me is in what he's promised he's doing in us and for us through the circumstances, resource challenges and relationships, not the resource challenges, circumstances and relationships themselves. His provision is not in those things, though sometimes it is. Like Paul just got a gift. It's in that whatever those are, what am I doing for you? I am finishing the work I began in you. I am making you who you need to be and will want to be. I am caring for you, using you, enjoying the fact that you're participating with me. I will make everything new and I am working all things for the good of those who are mine and called according to my purpose. I am doing that in plenty and I am doing that in need. I am doing that in hunger and I am doing that in abundance. So which one are you currently in? Doesn't matter. My promise to do in you and for you what I've promised is still happening. Now, sometimes I will actually shift those things in your advantage and rejoice in that as Paul is doing now. This is not a poverty theology. If God gives me anything, I should know. Now take it there. Oh, wow. Thank you, God. But those things come and go. And whether they come or they go, coming or going, God is still fulfilling in us what he said he would do. And Paul's saying, I'm content. There is a, a little book that I love dearly. You guys have heard me speak of it before. And it's called Heinz Feet in High Places. And in this little book, um, Much Afraid, who's the main character, who's on a journey to find contentment. If you want to boil the book down, that's what her journey is. She ends up in the desert where she doesn't want to be because God was like, uh, we, uh, we're going to go in the desert. And she's like, I know we're not because she, like us, understood the shepherd as one who will never take her into hard places and always take her into abundance, which is not, not in the Bible. Um, and so she's in the desert and it's just like she thought it would be terrible. Like, it's not like she got there and she's like, oh, it's not hot, dry, arid with nothing and terrible. She's like, nope, nope. Just as terrible as I imagined it is. That's why I didn't want to come here. And then she's in the desert and it says this. In all that great desert, there was not a single green thing growing. So there's the statement. Uh, Green pastures, zero. Streams of quiet waters, zero. 
Okay? Sand and death, plenty. Neither tree nor flower nor plant, save here and there a patch of straggly gray cactus. On the last morning, much afraid, was walking near the tents and, um, uh, and huts of the desert dwellers. When in a lonely corner behind a wall, she came upon a little golden yellow flower growing all alone. An old pipe was connected with a water tank. In the pipe was one tiny hole through which came an occasional drop of water. Where the drops fell one by one, there grew a little golden flower. Though where the seed had come from, much afraid could not imagine, for there was no birds anywhere and no other growing thing. She stopped over, uh, she stooped over the lonely, lovely little golden face, lifted up so hopefully and so bravely to the feeble drips and cried out softly, what is your name, little flower? For I never saw one like you before. The tiny plant answered at once in a tone as golden as itself. Behold me, my name is acceptance with joy. Much afraid thought of the things which she had seen somehow the answer of this little golden flower, which grew all alone in the waste of the desert, stole into her heart and echoed there faintly and sweetly, filling her with comfort. After reading that years ago, and then again, many, many years ago, and then get again a couple years ago, that has become my new obsession in some ways, an added one. What is acceptance with joy? It's not resignation. I got that one down. Yeah, I tried and tried and tried, and you just can't, so I'm done. I'll pretend, but I'm not. Nor is it uh, dysfunctional optimism. If I keep trying, this human will change, or this circumstance will change, or this resource dynamic will change. It's something utterly other. And I believe at the end of the day, what Paul is saying here in all that we do is the first kind of step into it. If you are going to be content, regardless of what's happening on this planet, you are going to have to, like me, like Paul, begin to say, who am I and what do I have? Is it enough and am I enough? There's contentment. And the answer is going to have to come this way. Has he made me enough? And do I have enough in him to last me in eternity? And every time our day tells us otherwise, we have to go back there. And when we do, we actually free ourselves to endure poverty when there's no planet provision and not to be bitter at those who aren't meeting our needs, spouse, child, parent, friend, ministry, and celebrate and greatly appreciate abundance. Isn't that beautiful? Celebrate abundance, endure need with equal grace and wonder without either of those becoming what actually determines whether we are content or not. That will happen when we say, you are indeed enough. Paul will help us next week understand how those dynamics wrap into both our giving and our receiving of that which God has given us to share with those around us. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would be gracious enough 
and kind enough as you already are to enter into our lives by your spirit. Not that you're not in us, you are, but enter in with your power in this particular space to help turn our eyes to who we are in you and what we have because of you, both what you've done, are doing, and will do, so that more and more we will find ourselves not enduring that which was, is around us by pure human strength or our prowess and power or our willingness to endure hard things, but because in that enduring, we find ourselves fixed on what you're allowing us to be part of, easy or hard. And in abundance, when we have it, not to feel the weightiness of shame or guilt because we have more than others and we're Christians, or not to feel this sense of unhealthy engagement with God must like me more because he lets me succeed. God, you've made it clear that none of those have bearing in your word that even in the goodness you give us on this planet, that is an opportunity for us to worship with gratitude for our needs being met and endure with gratitude when our needs are not so that we are free, free from being driven, tossed to and fro by the winds of this planet and free to find our well-being squarely, beautifully, consistently settled in who you are, what you've done for us and who we are in you and what you're doing for us. Thanks God for all that you've given us. Help us to trust you in every way and every circumstance in Jesus' name. Amen.